Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point, and brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life. Get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. That is our theme song. That's our theme, our, our mission statement. Stop our, the our, dying. Our mantra. My mantra, stop dying. Yeah. But something equally kind of corrosive to your mental health is, I just realized, I think it was on Friday. What's today? Tuesday. Yeah. Like Thursday or Friday, I realized I can't afford to have three children. Can I give one of them back? Where do you give them back at? The cost, the cost of everything is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like insane. Oh, and I don't you're, know. There's you're price. There's price gouging going on. There's no fucking doubt. So one of our favorite snacks around here are Scooby snacks. They look like Scooby uh, dog bones, but they're actually just uh, cinnamon cro- cookies, right? And like I remember before all this COVID Chinese war Trump thing. They were like $3.99 for a box. And there was like 12 bags of them. Like Sid likes them, Elvis likes them, I like them, I just like them, Chrissy likes them. So we'd buy a box for the last a week and some person would have two, usually me, and then everyone else have one. Uh, <laughs> they are $7.59. How can the fucking thing be worth $2.50 more just because it, uh, what, what is the reason why things cost so much? Well, didn't you get a 50% raise? I got zero raise. <laughs> <laughs> I thought everybody got a 50% raise because no, that's, just, what, that's what things have gone up. Mine keeps going down. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> oh, dude, it's, it, cra- it's true about tickets to shows. It's true about gas. It's true about everything. It's it's supply sco- chain it's issues. About, but Scooby snacks, they're like uh, the worst thing for you. They should be cheap. Only healthy things should be expensive. Yes, you, only the rich should be allowed to eat healthy food. Yeah, it's just so <laughs> crazy. So then, so then I had told I took I, I took Idris shopping with me today, and I had I, when we walked in, there was like a Mickey Mouse, like uh, I don't know, fun book with crayons and shit in it, and he he loved it. He saw it, and I put it so in order to cover the two dollar and fifty cent increase in the Scooby snacks. I threw that thing right up on top of one of the refrigerators at the checkout stand. I'm like, I can't mm. afford the Mickey Mouse uh, game bag, whatever the fuck it is. And he says, me, 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 me. He was walking around the house going, me, 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 me. Like, where is that fucking Mickey Mouse? Oh. Thing? And I was like, where is it? I just, I don't know. Oh, <laughs> no, you didn't. Oh, oh my God. Uh-huh. No, oh, let the I'm, lies begin. I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking, but it really is insane. I don't, I don't, it's just insane. And yeah. this Bruce Springsteen tickets, you hear about the everyman Bruce Springsteen, the guy that sings the songs of the heartland. Are they five thousand dollars? These tickets are five thousand dollars. <laughs> no <laughs> man of the five, three to five thousand dollars for floor seats. It's insane. I just can't believe he calls himself the man of the people. Man I don't think people. he does. <laughs> Not anymore. Not anymore. But uh, I was reading the Twitter feed because Rolling Stone is just 
fucking crucifying him and that's the only thing he really has left on his side really the, the like elvis doesn't know who bruce springsteen is and never will he knows who led zeppelin are he knows who the rolling stones are there's a weird thing like with the next generation there are things that just last like like sydney saw mick jagger one time a few months ago and she was like that guy's cool and this is like mick jagger like that I was watching that Martin Scorsese when they did the, the black and play, white one. Yeah. No, when they played nope. at the at the nightclub at the club in New York. I don't know. Yeah, don't they, know. there's a Rolling Stones thing where they played in a little club in New York, and I was watching it, and and Sydney said that guy's cool. Yeah, like, that's right on, man. Yeah, I don't think she's you know I don't I just some think things just translate. Artists, uh, did I tell you about the Bob Dylan playing at the Terrace? Yeah, no, you didn't. God, oh, I it was wondered. kind of amazing, man. I mean, you know, you had to clear did out. The first thing, I, did he sound check? He did, and he and he sounded great. He sang strong, you know, it, for how old he is. He sang strong. He sang all the songs. He stood up behind the stand-up piano, and then he walked out. But the weird thing about it is that he does not say a single thing to anybody to anybody coming in going out and yeah, also I've on heard that. I've and heard also that. on on stage he doesn't say thank you he doesn't say like uh no, hello long yeah. beach hello anybody you know he doesn't do anything mm -hmm. i know and I, well i know that he doesn't talk to people uh so i just wonder like because he's got uh, you know he's kind of like created a character that he has to play to me like so now if he wants to talk to somebody, he can't break his like vow to not talk to anybody. Well, who does you know he what need I mean? to Bob, Bob, who does he need to talk to to tell me that? Human <laughs> beings need other human beings for their central nervous system. You know, Bob Newworth just died, but they probably still talk, but um he's probably still got some old friends, you know. No, but I'm talking about on a daily basis. Like you're supposed to like I I've talked to like 20 people today like you say hi good morning whatever wave to people T to have that not in your life because you're too cool for school i i don't get it that you know i just don't get his whole trip like if well, i was him i'd be so gracious and you know and happy to be alive yeah but if you were walking down the street and bob dylan just waved at you and just walked by and said hey hey how you doing wouldn't you stop <laughs> and say bob dylan wouldn't you bother him wouldn't you you know like yeah, 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 conversation? That, yeah, i don't know i don't you know, but that, you know i want i want them to talk to us a little bit i mean not too much but i like them to interact you know with i don't I don't, I don't ever want to seem like i'm you know in the chili pepper fan club but Flea and Anthony are about as great a that big of immortal musicians as can be. They're gracious to people. I'm with Anthony all mm -hmm. the time lately. He's gracious. He says hello. He doesn't like taking selfies because it, it's just so people don't really want to talk or interact. They want a selfie so they can just post it. And it right. just it cheapens the experience. So Anthony says, "Well, I don't like to post for pictures, but like, where are you from?" He like asks people questions. Right. Like he's gracious. And then Is you he hear saying, about these other people that you can't talk to. Don't look. There's things with Mick Jagger. Don't look at him or something. Like what? How can you not look at him? It's Mick Jagger. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I have a question for you, Bob. Do you think you and Keith and especially Flea gets that from? Yeah, Flea's Flea great. I think like I that. think 
I think we're a different generation. I think if you had to say who's the leader of the movement that we grew up in, it's Ian Mackay. And he's, he's one of the nicest people in the world. He's gracious. He talks to everybody. Like I didn't know him very well. I kind of like was nervous around him. Like Eric Avery was in the bicycle thief for a while. And we were talking about Ian and like how everybody idolized him and like what it must be like to be him and stuff like that. And then I got to know Ian and you just ask him questions and he answers it. Like, like, like he's not oh, yeah. precious about anything, right. but, but, you know, and then on the other hand, Henry is the exact opposite of that. He's like, you know, guarded, sarcastic, mean, whatever. But I, I expected Ian to be kind of guarded not want to talk or like, like, but he, you know, I said, so he was, he was saying he was booking the evens tour. Right. And, and I say, you book it yourself. And he goes, yeah, I always have. I just, you know, gets a little, gets, he said, it gets to be a little bit much when you're my age. And he's, talk, <laughs> and he's talking to like some kid in Lincoln, Nebraska about doing a show <laughs> at the bowling alley. And, <laughs> and he goes, he goes, but I made my bed. I got to lay in it. You know what I mean? Like how, so how, funny. how self-effacing and gracious is that? And that, and they are one of the best bands I've ever seen Fugazi, in my entire, entire life. I Chuck, swear. did you ever see Fugazi? Nope. Just it one of the it, best. Most, it, it, I, I never, I never really it. liked Fugazi. Oh, I know God. most well, everybody I know loves them, but, but I just never live, got it. Live, it was like the class. It was just like it was so powerful and so intense. But talk and about who started that, who started that, like completely stopping the show and saying, you guys knock it off and quit shoving those girls around or else we are not going to play. You know, that that's that was the guy that started it all, man. That band started all of that, man. Early on in the punk thing, they wouldn't have any part of that. Just imagine like a band, Chuck, that doesn't have that hip hop beat that's so e easy to fight to, which is what and the only comparable band live live to me to Fugazi is like Beastie Boys in their prime, Rage Against the Machine, The Clash. That's it's at that level live, the intensity live. I like you. I don't, you know, the records that come and go. I like the instrumental record actually that they did to the movie. Yeah, best. I mean, Waiting Room is a good song, but I have I have thirteen songs, but I don't I don't. It's not like my go to. But I, go it's ahead. not. It's like yeah, you don't. You know, the Clash had songs you could sit around and listen to. Right. I don't sit around and listen to Rage Against the Machine. I I listen to Killing in the Name of when I'm angry in the car. <laughs> but I'm not, you know, I'm not sitting here listening to Rage Against the Machine at home either, right? right? And I'm certainly not listening to the Beastie Boys, right? I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to turn Elvis and Sid on to Beastie Boys. And, <laughs> um, but, but yeah, the, the great live bands, I never really sat around and listened to, except for The Clash, right? Hmm. I wasn't listening to the Dead Kennedys. You just went and saw the Dead Kennedys. That was all about seeing. <laughs> it was all about seeing a band live. It wasn't right. really about listening to it. I, I, I. Mike knows this, and I've said it before. I'm not. I don't really like punk rock. I think it's a really limited sound. The bands I like are like. I've always like. What's around me right now? I got Blondie, the first album. Public Enemy, it takes a nation of millions. millions Graftwork and Creedence Clearwater, who I went and saw John Fogarty on Saturday night, might I say awesome, 77 years old, sounds exactly like himself on the records. It's incredible. 
That's yeah. that's rare. It was like, and we were talking about it on the way home. It was only like, there's only like him and Paul McCartney sound like themselves. Mick Jagger doesn't sound like Exile on Main Street Mick Jagger. Bob Dylan doesn't even sound human sometimes. Um, <laughs> Elton John doesn't even sound like Elton John. Elton John's trying though. And I noticed Elton John knows to start things in other keys, but oh, yeah. then, but it doesn't sound exactly right when you start. No, I'm, I'm not saying it's not good, but I mean, his, <laughs> his voice has changed. I, I loved the last time we saw him. It was just a couple of years ago. It was right before the shutdown. But, um, but yeah, and Brian Wilson, you know, oh, can't yeah. sing. He can't sing. So That's all sad. the greats and all the icons, and you just, you know, it, it just happened that, that John Fogarty was playing the Hollywood Bowl. Somebody gave me tickets. So I was excited to go. I took, we took my father-in-law and my mother-in-law, and we went. It was mind blowing. He sounds exactly like the record. Exactly. Like it's, and he's, and I had to Google it. He's 77 years old. Like that's wow. incredible. And, and there was and no backing track or anything. You're no, it's just he, you straight know him. He has, he has his kids. His kids are all musicians. So no his way. daughter and his two sons are in the band. And then the two sons have a band and they're the rhythm section. It was all like, here's the, here's the band. There's like an older keyboard player, like obviously John Fogarty guy. So there's John Fogarty, <laughs> 77, keyboard player, I would say is 50, and four 26-year-olds. <laughs> that are all family? It's all family? Yeah, they're all family. <laughs> well, you don't got to pay them much, you know? <laughs> you don't got to pay them nothing. <laughs> they're paying you back for all the food and all the Scooby snacks. <laughs> yeah, all the Scooby. Oh, God. But uh, it was amazing. And, and God, Green River. And, and here's the other thing run through the jungle he introduced it i'm so dumb i kind of knew in the back of my mind from the 70s or something but i'm just so dumb i'd forgotten for 35 years run through the jungles about vietnam yeah <laughs> <laughs> i thought you were gonna say something surprising but yes yes bob <laughs> And water's wet and trees are wood. I don't know if it's that COVID brain melt that I like. I was like, really? he says, you know, I wrote this song about my friends in Vietnam. And then he started running through the jungle. I was like, really? Like, Whoa, wow. really? Whoa. It, it all makes sense Light bulb now. above your head. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> well, it's also. It only took 40 years. <laughs> yeah, but. But it's misleading it's because wait a minute, it's in so many kids' movies. It's in Madagascar. It's in the Angry Birds first movie. Angry it's, Birds first movie was good. Angry Birds two, not so much. But Run to the Jungle is a typical kids' movie animation song. I bet I bet you it's in a bunch of kids' animation songs. But I know it's in Madagascar, and it's just like. Like you forget, like oh, it's about Vietnam. Vietnam. Oh, okay. Right, but it's, it's, <laughs> but it's a well-written song. It's a got a fun. And kids don't care. Just like the way you said, Sydney said Mick Jagger's cool. I didn't think Mick Jagger was cool because somebody told me he was cooler because it was a trend. You watch him and you just go, yeah, that guy. It's like cool. Bug when he listens to shit. He doesn't go, what year is this from? Were these guys popular? Either he likes the song or he doesn't. And they does he, and like, does he like Credence? Everybody likes, loves Credence. He likes Credence. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 pre-Ramones, where it's just like as basic as it gets. It tells a story. It's just, you know, it's it's 
It's good. It's solid. How many? How many? Why is that guy not up there with Paul Simon and Bruce Springsteen and all that fucking bullshit? That guy has song after song after song that you know all the words to. Oh, they are. He. They had so many songs that Creedence Clearwater revisited. Do all his songs and all the cover songs they did without him. Oh right. But I think he's reclaimed. Anyways, he was smiling. He's playing with his kids. He's still alive. He's fucking playing the Hollywood Bowl. It's just, it was it was a great night. And uh, and then that was Saturday night. Sunday night, we went to the uh, SoFi Stadium and saw the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh no! It's been quite a music weekend for the old Forrest family. And see, and, they uh, mix they mix that rock and roll thing with the punk rock ethic of. You're in the you're in the audience before the show. You talk to people. You get to know people like Ian and like all that. That's what punk rock did. At least when I was growing up, you could go to a punk rock show and see the people hanging out beforehand. You could talk to them. You could find out what's going on. And the stage was sometimes six inches high, sometimes a foot higher. There was no stage. You know that who, was um, who opened for Chili Peppers in England. Um. Rocky, ASAP Rocky. Oh, ASAP Rocky. So this was back, and like that's a rough slot opening for Chili Peppers in LA at a football stadium. It echoes around a lot. Yeah. And he was, I, I saw him get frustrated. Like he did Donna and like didn't go over so well, or Deborah. And, um, <laughs> and, and he, yeah, Deborah. <laughs> you and, and your sister. <laughs> yeah. And and he was he was good, but you could tell like he was frustrated. And then you saw, though, right? Then you saw a disciplined musician who's played a thousand shows just say, "Fucking let's let's fucking just get let's just do this." And they did like six songs, and then "Loser" and "Where It's At" at the end, the whole stadium was standing up, rocking out. And I thought like. Most people would have crumbled. Most people would have fucking crumbled and packed it in on song seven, right? When everybody's sitting <laughs> down and people yeah. are, like that guy is amazing. Like, uh, you know, the, I just saw him fight for his right to party and, and, he, <laughs> and he accomplished it. No, it's like, that's a rough slot. How'd they crowd like ASAP Rocky? I don't know. We skipped it. Oh, you're kidding me. No, what a we, Hollywood move! No, no, no. We we had to take a train and then we had to walk because we got off with locals who said this is where you get off to get to the stadium, <laughs> and we should have gone to the next stop. So we walked like four miles in, dude, and then we went around. It's a long story, but we walked around, 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 around. When I say we skipped it, I mean we chumped it. Right. We tried. Well, By the time we got there, it was like they were starting. <laughs> when but I it was still up- daylight. So I planned my exit. You know, you're talking about 72,000 cars. So the last song is Give It Away. I look at the encore. It's under the bridge. And by the way, I'm like, I've seen them play those songs many, many times. So they're doing Give It Away. Elvis, that's his favorite song. He was rocking out. And then it ended and they walked off. And I said, come on, we're going. We're going. And Sid's like, are they done? And I said, they're done. They're done. Because I knew I had to lie to my children to get them to leave. (laughs) They weren't going to leave, Chuck. They were going to want to see more songs. And we Mm -hmm. had not, we were not able to emotionally see those other two songs. 
So we're walking out. That's two you revealed. You know, the Mickey's up on top of the refrigerator. (laughs) (laughs) And then this one, Bob. Okay. So sometimes you have to, it's called more, uh, what is it called? Uh, David Hume, uh, moral relevance. It's a a relative morality, whatever. So rationalization, justification. Justification. Yep. But let me tell you something. It was for their own good because they don't want to be in the parking lot for two hours trying to get the fuck out of there. And I'll I'll tell you this. They don't want to, though Sid would have probably fallen asleep and she did anyways, but Elvis wouldn't have minded either because he's got his phone. Let's admit it. I'm the one that didn't want to be in the parking lot for two hours. There we go. We got yeah. there. Okay. <laughs> Good okay. share. But, I, but in my mind, I was doing it for them. They, it's a school night. They have to get home. <laughs> so, yeah. so get this. So we go up in this elevator. We're the only people in the elevator. Mind you, the encore is about to happen. I ask the gentleman when we're getting off, you know, because that thing is ginormous. It's like its own city, that fucking mm-hmm. stadium. And I said, which way is the YouTube theater? Because we had parked right next to the YouTube theater. And he went to the left. Uh-oh. <laughs> it was not to the left. Uh... We walked all the way around the stadium. Yep. <laughs> and, and I was... You know, and finally halfway through, I just gave in, and then I filmed under the bridge from way up top with the crowd singing along. <laughs> and it was just uh, like, and so then, you know, we watched by the way from way up top, and then we ran out, and somehow we got out. You know, probably in 20, 30 minutes, twenty minutes wasn't bad. But well, that's a this, that's a brand new thing. Shouldn't there be some sort of science behind traffic flow and letting people out? Isn't there some? I would think well, that the they main, could make the main thing is people walking, right? So you get out to Prairie, the front street, and you got to mm-hmm. wait for pedestrians to walk by to let you go. Like fuck you. Not if you like, just go. They get out of the way. Go slow. <laughs> go slow. Survival should build little bridges in. for them. <laughs> Little bridges to go over the crossing. No, I think they should, close, they should close the sidewalks and make people go out in, in you know, four different directions instead of anywhere they want to go. They close yeah. everything else. They shouldn't be able to get to their cars at You're all. You're sitting there waiting. You're just watching people wait. No, they're walking to Uber. They're walking to another cheaper parking fucking lot. Bastards, or something. man. Bastards they're just fucking walking. walking. Pedestrians piss me off. Freaking, <laughs> I hear you, Bob. I've been. No, there. it just says it doesn't make any sense. Like they they block off the road so everybody can go, but then pedestrians just walk by and stop you. It's kind of crazy. But yeah. we're out of there. We're home at twelve fifteen or whatever. But it was it was awe inspiring to see those guys. Like you know, yeah. just me and somebody else were uh, talking about. Like, oh, Sydney was obsessed with the homeless because we were in downtown or whatever. And, she, and I said, you know, Sid, me and Anthony were homeless 20, 39 years ago. Huh. And look at this. It's crazy. Did you invite Chris Hoy? No, no, no. I got Missy and Bowman to San Diego. Like, Hoy didn't call me. Huh? Missy, Chris Bowman, his wife did. San Diego, San Diego was. A you know, uh, Martine is playing the porno for Pyro. I know. He plays I like saw four shows. He played that Chicago his... show. It looks like he had a lot of fun. He said yeah. his in ear monitor filled up with sweat and he couldn't hear. 
his big old, yeah, he, that was his uh, most uh, uncomfortable moment. Yeah, and then uh, Billy, well, Billy Corgan came up and sang with them. That was he sang with them, yeah. Well, who do you mean yeah. that was uncomfortable? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't know. That's a that's a lot to unpack, Perry and Billy Corgan. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would like to watch them have a conversation. You know what, though, Bob? It's kind of it. good, though, because it seems like they're healing stuff, and you know, and which is good for everybody to just get that all behind you. And, you know, Martin was so resentful for a long time. You know that. Well, I mean, you know, that here's the thing that I do know. Resentments about band stuff usually are in failure bands, right? Or bands that really don't live up to expectation or don't succeed. There's not that kind of resentment around the Chili Peppers. Like there's some hard feelings once in a while, but Josh isn't mad at the Chili Peppers. He's not. Like when there's, I don't know what it is, but there's not a lot of anger or, or whatever around the Beastie Boys or the, all these successful bands. It's bands that kind of, have these like there was no one more primed to be the future arena band than porno for, for pyros there was no one they had that hit pets their first album was killer it was great they toured the world come back make that second record you know and and take it to the next level and they didn't because and i was there i know peter peter chris from kiss is still kind of pissed off <laughs> <laughs> well, that kid yeah, is not happy i man. was there i was there during great god's urge there was a lot of guns and a lot of drugs there there was guys you know whenever guns and drugs and musicians line up nothing no good record is coming from that no and that, <laughs> You just described Mike Mart's living room when yeah. he's home alone. Because <laughs> right. here's the thing. So Al Cooper is a friend of mine, and he told me, I said, how come you stop working with Leonard Skinner? And he said, cocaine and guns. And I said, <laughs> what? He goes, I, you know, I made the first record and didn't do a lot. Did you know the first Leonard Skinner, pronounced Leonard Skinner, kind of bombed? It only sold like 15,000 copies. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they weren't yeah. a hit of the, with the yeah. first one. So then the second record had Sweet Home Alabama, and that's when they become a hit. And then the first record sells. So they now have money, the Leonard Skinner boys. And Al was keyed up to, you know, produce the third album. It ended up being called Nothing's Fancy. The only really good yeah. song on it is Mr. Saturday Night Special. And Al said the third day, uh, they're sitting in the control room and they kind of have a basic tracks down for a song. Yeah. And Alan Collins keeps pushing his guitar amp up, the fader up on the board. Yeah. And, and the other guy, I forget, it was Gary Rosington saying, no, no, no. And Kevin and pulling it back down. You stay with us, stay with us, brother. You don't fucking, what are you doing? And they kind of get into it. And Gary, apparently Gary Rosington or Alan Collins, Al couldn't remember which, pulled a gun on the other and said, leave that fucking fader away. <laughs> so, so Bob, did you know, did you know, I'm not really that big of a Leonard Skinner fan at all, at oh, all. I, I, mean, I really do I not love, like them. And in that. fact, my favorite Southern band, of course, is the Almond Brothers. Oh yeah. The Almond Brothers don't have Ronnie Van Zant, the lyricist. The, the most amazing songwriters in, in the entire no, Dickie Betts wrote some great songs, but a lot, you know, I love the Allman Brothers. It's not a competition between Leonard Skinner and all. Oh, yes, it is. 
No, it's not. <laughs> this isn't a Jim Beam, Jack Daniels thing. Because <laughs> Leonard, Leonard Skinner really literally becomes on par with kissing Led Zeppelin and The Who and Aerosmith. You know, and on. the Allman Brothers never reached that level. They did kind of in the beginning in 73 at Watkins Glen. But, you know, you got Greg Allman married Cher. OK, that's all. I yeah, need no, to, I know that's that. all I need to say. That was like she was the hugest star in the back in the day and the most beautiful, uh, you know, well, Ronnie Van Zandt was dead. How do you know he wouldn't have married her if she was looking? <laughs> <laughs> Cher also went out with Gene Simmons. So. <laughs> so so anyways, guns, cocaine, that's what I think did in porno for pyros. And they kind of have this weird resentment based on like i don't know what but but just uh, to me i would just say you know what we're all fucked up and we fucked up and like now we're older like who cares and i think that's what martin has done yeah yeah he's reconnecting and they're all yeah i, I love that i really do yeah and it, I it, wish it happens <laughs> when it happens it happens when it happens like i wish more you know. people could do that there's so much music that means so much to so many people. Oh, Chuck's talking about the feelings. Smiths again. Chuck's talking about the Smiths <laughs> it's one again. Of them. Yeah, it's oh, one of them. God. No, Oasis, Oasis is for sure getting back together. But the Smiths, I think, I don't think they are going to. I don't know. I just don't think they're going to. No, Morrissey will never get to. No, no. Morrissey. I, I thought for years they would if the money was right. And then the money got right. And they're still not doing it. No, they're not going to do it. So they're not what about Blink 182, man? I could give a shit about Oasis. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, uh, yeah, I I really yeah. That's a popular another, another opinion, one that I think is wow, you know, look at Mike Mart. No, they wrote like, hey, listen, they wrote some great songs, but the hype there you does go. not does not equal the ability. It changed, but it changed the face of what was happening at that time too. It brought back that style of music that where where it was guitar driven and and based on Beatles and Stones no, it, and stuff. It, 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 yes, it absolutely changed. It changed what it was happening in the footsteps and, of the Smiths. Uh, actually, to oh no, coin one of your favorites. I don't. I don't think they did at all. I think the Smiths no, were. But when were, when the, and, and Oasis is the only band that brought it back. I mean, Pulp was doing it, but the whole Blur, but they Blur they, they opened they opened up the world to the whole Britpop thing, uh, where it, I don't think it would have broken in the same way. I don't think I would have ever heard uh, nearly as much I, from Suede or Generation Chuck. I have a different kind of opinion about movements. I think it's all about songs. There's been lots of different movements that never go anywhere because the people don't write great songs. Mm -hmm. There's there was the Silver Lake Too Cool for School movement, you know, that I I kind of got sober in the middle of. It's all these bands and you know, No Age and all these cool hipster bands. None of them wrote any great songs. Uh, honestly, a lot of the kind of punk rock that came out of LA nobody wrote great songs it kind of just faded away and and the fact is when a, when there's a where there when there's a place on earth where there's a movement and the people write amazingly great songs like prince or like oasis then then the movement all of a sudden is something or nirvana and pearl jam in seattle Right. But I mean, but but you have to have the songs. A movement has to have the songs, or it's not. It's nothing. It's a, more like a bowel movement. It's not like the, a thing that's going to change the world. It's not going to. There was there was all kinds of movements, and they never yeah. go anywhere. 
right? Oh, absolutely. But like, like uh, Wonderwall, Champagne, Nova, Champagne Supernova, um, Live Forever, those songs are going to be around and showing up in kids' films for a long time. Like, like yeah. the Fogarty well, stuff I mean, did it, because it they were great songs. It influenced the culture. And then the culture, like right now, I believe we're living in the shift away from hip hop. I think hip hop might be have have crested and now it's kind of going to come back down to earth where i i just have that feeling because because hip-hop like people like what was popular a year ago it, the people can't even get a gig right now you know what i mean mm. like hip-hop changes so fast mm -hmm. right you you know watch all these girls like megan the stallion is she gonna become beyonce i doubt it is lizzo mm. i doubt it you know, I would I wouldn't think so because well that's yeah it's a totally different animal. You're right though that does that scene changes so quick and with little things pop up and then things become popular in an underground kind of way and then they kind of disappear. But that but that whole rap thing didn't do itself any favors by everybody dying so quickly. You right. know, when, that, when, but I I think self pity is not like that sustainable. Uh, like the you know the extension and all those little peep and all that. It's just self pity is not that you can't you can't. It's not going to sustain itself. Self pity has a little bit of stuff when you're twelve, thirteen, and you're you know going through puberty or something. I think that's what a lot of it is. But when somebody writes amazing songs like Public Enemy or or Beastie Boys or you know jay-z it's gonna last a lot or eminem the king of all songs i mean eminem is pretty much the the like beatles of hip-hop i mean he has 10 songs that you, everybody on earth knows right nobody on earth knows like you know these j cole songs or whatever it's just like comes <laughs> and a go you know what i mean right right <laughs> when i but, see guys that are all tattooed up with juice world stuff and i go don't know a song <laughs> well, well, I just but but I do know the songs, and I just it's shocking. It was shocking to me when I first started listening to it how self pitying it is, and it's all like the girl done me wrong and all this kind of stuff. Like, really? I thought you were like, you know, harder than that. You know what I mean? Like, you're, gonna, you're gonna kill yourself because of a girl. But let's talk about. There's a song called TV by Billie Eilish. Have you heard it? This is, she is, and, and extension and all, and she was very close with extension. And I know it's sad and all that and extension, little peep and all that self-pity music. And then you take Taylor Swift's self-pity music. And for the first time, an artist of that ilk, of that movement, of that, of, of that generation, her chorus is maybe I'm the problem. Hmm. Like you never hear that from all these artists. Her chorus is maybe I'm the problem yeah. from a 21 year old girl. That's like good. Taylor Swift is still blaming John Mayer for like, I don't know what, like uh, not must be fuel. really, really not, bad. Enough, <laughs> not, 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 not enough fuel in her jet. What's her fucking problem with him? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's true. It's true that self-pity and, and victim kind of lyric, lyrical victim and self-pity it's kind of turning a corner and Billie Eilish, I think is way out ahead of the curve with introspection and self-awareness. Like maybe I'm the problem. Every guy leaves me. Maybe I'm the problem. 
I, it's profound. And I've been telling everybody about it. And they're like, Bob, you're insane. You, and, you know, Mark Thompson, <laughs> thing, you take everything too seriously. Like, I, <laughs> I take, I take song lyrics very fucking seriously. Did she write it or did Phineas? She write wrote it? it. She wrote it. She was, it's just acoustic guitar and singing. Huh? It's amazing. It's I just called, saw her it's do a TV. thing. I saw her on, uh, she's been on a couple television things. She was at, uh Lala Palooza. She was at uh she did a thing did at the Hollywood the Blow on Apple Bowl TV. Was... Did you see the thing on Apple TV? That was a great that was a was great... that at the Hollywood Bowl? No, the Apple TV got it uh, has a she does a special on her. Like a, I mean oh, a, docu- yeah, that was a documentary. Did you I'm talking that? about I'm talking about a song that has their overturning Roe v. Wade as one of the verses. I mean, when did she write this song? Like three weeks ago? It's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. She she is on the pulse of 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 something really magical, and I hope since she's the forerunner of all this, I mean, I can't think of a bigger artist than her than Adele, maybe. And if she's saying maybe the problem is me, maybe there's some hope for our society, because for ten years the problem has been white guys and these people and that people and racism and this and that and like you know this all this projective identification that sound familiar chuck you're a therapist Mm -hmm. too um Mm -hmm. the music reflects projective identification and blaming others for your misery and lot in life right Mm -hmm. and this is the first lyrics i've seen that are like more like recovery like more like how you want to be happy stop blaming everybody else for your problems you want to be happy <laughs> you want to be happy take responsibility for yourself right yeah choose you know, <laughs> and she's and she's saying that and i'm and, and i'm i'm just looking forward to seeing it if other people copy that kind of attitude like and she's she's got great verse lines one of the verses says she just wants to watch tv and forget about this breakup that she had or whatever and then she says, I'm watching Survivor because I like I because I want to watch other people suffer too, or something like that. <laughs> and that is America, right? Why does America watch all this shit? Because it makes you feel better about yourself in your life. Well, that was Jerry Springer's get down for sure. <laughs> well, that's what the housewives are just an extension of of jerry springer this is feeling superior to them and they're so dumb and all that the the beginnings of celebrity rehab the first two episodes of celebrity rehab were always like through the roof numbers it took like three years for me to realize what was going on is people really like tuning in for when they're high and crazy and miserable and fighting and smashing windows and crying and then when they go into rehab and they're Dr. Drew's telling them they're full of shit and then they're throwing up and detoxing. America loved watching that. They didn't so much like watching people process and turn their lives around. It's like, you know what I mean? They didn't really like the recovery aspect and them getting better. They liked yeah. the, the, the misery and the drama of, of suffering that addiction is. And that's Schadenfreude. And that's what I think you know the housewives is that's what jerry springer was that's what survivor is that's what naked and afraid is it's all this like other people suffering the naked and afraid you know there's a whole i think there's a whole channel dedicated to this show called naked and afraid have you ever heard of it 
Yeah, weird. I've seen. I've naked. seen naked. It's not as good as Alone because Alone at least is like more. The survivalism is really kind of bitch, and I like watching Alone because you get to see how hard it is to survive and how easy we have it. I mean, just the idea that we can turn on tap and drink water—that's a big deal. If you're out there and in, in Alone is a, Alone is better because they get to wear clothes <laughs> too. Right. You know, I'll, I think I'll clothes are cool. You. Just by judging what you're describing, I've never seen alone. I obviously seen Naked and Afraid. I bet you Naked and Afraid's ratings are better for some reason. I just <laughs> <watch>. <laughs> well, alone they, they, they like they build shelters and it's whoever lasts the longest. And you there's you know it's just it's just bitching. There's no set time that you get to go home. It's you're the last one standing or you're not. You don't know if you're the last one standing. And yeah. so you yeah, dodge watching that show for a long time, man. You know, Martine had something to do with, um, with like training some people on that show. On alone, yeah, he's always tracking stuff around his house. Uh, yeah, naked he, and afraid. No, alone. It's a, it is a great show. Um, they take a bunch of guys and they, a bunch of people, women included, and drop them in different spots and just monitor them. And however, whoever lasts the longest, you know, wins a million dollars. And oh, they really? leave them with nothing. I think it. I don't think it's died? that much. I think it's like a hundred thousand. No, five hundred thousand. Has anybody died? No, but they come. They swoop in and take them. Take them out sometimes against like they don't want to leave, but they're like, "You got to go. You're dying." Yeah. <laughs> if they lose a certain, if their if their body fat goes down below a certain percent, or if their their blood pressure isn't good, because it, it's it's real, man. I mean, you watch people make fishing nets and. He's bitching. These people got it. And I'm thinking they, they can do this forever. And it's just like, all I can think is I'm so glad I can turn on a heater or it reminds me. It reminds me of the old, uh, there's an old Sam Kinison bit where he's, you know, the girl from Archie Bunker from all in the family, Gloria, I forget her name. Uh, he's always, eat it. <laughs> eat it. No, not eat it. The I, daughter. Gloria, oh, Shelly uh, Struthers. Uh, Sally Struthers. She used to do these commercials of children starving to death in different parts of the world. And, you know, mm -hmm. she'd be standing there and say, this is Enrique. Enrique doesn't know who his parents are. He is, you know, he's like, and she's standing there in like the, you know, in the dump in like, you know, Mexico city or something. And he's barefoot and he's got flies all around him. And, uh, and Sam Kinison's joke was, bitch, you're standing right there. Help that little boy. Give him a sandwich. <laughs> Give him a sandwich. Yeah, what? Him. <laughs> like, yeah. what is wrong with you? And I think like the, the idea that people will put them through themselves through living like that just to make, you know, mil whatever, a million dollars, I'm sure. Is, I find it. Yeah, I agree with Chuck. I don't think they make a million dollars. I don't think that show has a million dollars. There was a show where they got a million dollars. Yes, there was. Well, I don't know if, if it's every show. It was but it, grand, I think there was a grand champion. Oh, you know what round. it was? It was, yeah, it was a because there's seven seasons. So there was accumulation of the winners of that show all went up against yeah, each, yeah, other, each other. It was a million dollars. Yeah. Do you guys uh, like Green Day at all? I well, think I let think me Bill tell you my Green Day songs, story. Let me tell you my Green Day story. So I was living with Keith, Mr. Keith Morris, a friend of the show, in uh, whatever year it was, um, 1994, I think. And he was obsessed with them. You've got to check out this band called Green Day. They're fucking and I was great. like, 
I've heard of their albums called Dookie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like so, their album's Come called when you do Poop. Voice, their album's called Poop, and, <laughs> and and you know, so so you know how those friends of yours that insist you have to like something, then you don't want to. It like just it. it just ruins it, yep. the ability to like something. <laughs> well, it's like, hey, listen to this joke. It's super funny. It's the funniest thing you've ever heard. I didn't even want to hear the joke after that because it's not going to be funny enough. Oh, I did hear a funny, funny joke. Dave Chappelle told. <laughs> Oh, Dave Chappelle told a joke the other I night. I got one for you too. Okay, so you want to go says, first, or you want me to go first? Well, this is a Dave Chappelle bit, so I don't know. It's going to take a while. You go. Uh, you got a uh, one-liner joke. You guys go. heard about the cheese factory? That this is a, this is Andrew Dice Clay. Uh, you heard about the cheese factory that blew up, right? No, what happened? No, what happened? Debris everywhere. Uh, <laughs> You can hear his accent, right? So in Dave Chappelle's, in Chappelle's joke, after he gets stabbed or attacked at the Hollywood Bowl or whatever happened, right? The first person that called him was one of his best friends, Louis C.K., the disgraced comedian who I love. Yeah. And and Dave Chappelle says, uh, and Louis says, Are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm okay. Like, that was fucking scary or whatever. And then Louis says, yeah, I just, I can't imagine. Like, and they're talking for a few minutes. And then Dave said, then the phone went dead. And he was like, he thought that he dropped the call. And he was like, Louis? And Louis was like, yeah, I'm here. And he goes, what the fuck are you doing right now? Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, and Louis C.K. said, "I can't help myself." James <laughs> 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 Chappelle is the king. He's the fucking king. He's funny, yep, man. relevant, socially aware, and funniest <laughs> fucking guy. I think. I, but I he can't. needs to. He needs to stop with all the trans shit. It's just ridiculous. He goes on and on. And on. Enough. 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 Oh my God, Vin Scully just died. Oh my God. Oh no. Oh, golly. Oh, oh my God. Oh, we better put greatest, this out early. The greatest Dodger of all time. Oh my God. You know, him and Chick well, he Hearn. Pretty, how old was he? 94. Well, that's a good run. <laughs> it's like, a hell of a yeah. good run. But He's I mean, just think of think of like that voice. That voice is in our heads for in every person that's lived in LA for their whole lives. Right. Just exactly. generation after generation. It's just so crazy. Uh, mm. Wow. Wow. I remember this. They're showing his call of, of Kirk Gibson's home run in the World Series. Okay. Well, oh, should God. we dedicate this whole episode to him? Yeah, the, the great Vin Scully and and Dodge a baseball. It's on the air. Hey, they uh, lost, didn't they? they? Did they finally lose? Or, or yeah, they lost on the win streak, but they're back on it. Um, but um, but yeah, God, Vince Scully. You know, you know, every time an icon like this dies, I realize like that's going to be me. Can I make it to ninety four? I don't think I can. No, there's no way I can make it to ninety four. <laughs> no. no, no way. <laughs> there's no way. But they grew, Chuck, he grew up like eating off asbestos plates and drinking out of lead cups, and he lived that long. So, <laughs> did he smoke heroin on tinfoil? Did he inhale a lot of tinfoil? I, I wouldn't be surprised. 
<laughs> I often wonder if that's going to cause Alzheimer's for me or something, you know, or dementia because I had dementia. smoked so much of that stuff off of aluminum foil that went right into my lungs. You, you know, you, it, it'll play a part. Oh um, my God. Look at Vince Scully. This is a sad day. You know, that the, here's an interesting thing. You know, what, one of my favorite TV shows of all time, X Files, the girl, her name is Scully. Mm -hmm. uh, it's yeah. a tip of the hat to Vin Scully by, really? by the guy who wrote it. Yeah. That's, are you sure? Really? I'm positive. You can that's Google a, that's it. That's a good piece of trivia. That's a good know, piece of right. trivia, right? So yeah, especially um, for off the cuff like that. So yeah, I was going to get into uh, something that my friend Dave said this morning. Uh, sobriety is not as popular as it used to be. I, nope. I, and it's really not, is it? Not, no. complete, not complete abstinence. No, it's not. I, not I live in a, I live in a rehab bubble, I guess, but yeah, he's, he's like, no, no, no. He, he said, cause he's active and involved. And he said, I know lots of people that are still smoking pot and they're taking cakes. And I was like, Whoa, really? Really? That's like, weird. See, that's just diluted. I know lots of people that are smoking pot in rehab. <laughs> they're telling me they're not yeah. uh, with some cbd uh i don't know how it's got the positive but test. i mean is is it is it all like is <sighs> it is it like aa will never change its rules but but i don't think it has to because it doesn't say you have to be abstinent it never says no, that it just you, you have to have a desire to stop drinking and the fact that it says the word drinking uh, is the uh, uh, the loophole apparently according to Dude. my friend? It's a in, loophole. So you can be in AA and adhere to every principle and every um, step. You can work the steps. You can consider yourself sober, and, and still take and, value. And it, it's okay, an so. adage. <laughs> it's an adage. It's an add-on to say you can't smoke pot because that's not what the book says. Is what some of these right. people are arguing. That's, I, I have. I have a in treatment right now that this is right on your point where he told his sponsor, his AA sponsor, that he wouldn't smoke pot until he went through all the steps with him. And that's the grounds on which they're working. So, and then once he does all 12 steps, he's going to smoke pot. Yeah. And, and this you know guy was he, also talking about LSD and ayahuasca and, and microdosing and microdosing. And, yeah. Like, like, I think that I think that I don't know. I think that the world is is in a shifting thing. It's shifting. It's like it, it's well, not, you know. Knows? Listen, maybe maybe they'll maybe be like the right. pure, Yeah, maybe the maybe they'll be the purest. You know, the stuff. I mean, maybe AA will get back to what its roots really are, and that's just people who drank too much and were really low bottom drunks. Right, and then where would the drug addicts go? The heroin addicts, drug addicts, heroin you know, anonymous, they can all HA. just go wherever, I guess. There you is, her there is listen, heroin anonymous. There's we heroin were, anonymous. Yeah, we we were never welcome at a at the early AA meetings when we were um, using heroin. We couldn't share in an AA meeting. Most AA meetings I went to in the beginning, you couldn't share about drugs. I never. Here's here's how I ended. I I know I'm going to be sober. I just know it because I don't like pot and I'm, I for sure a thousand percent convinced in my innermost self that I am alcoholic. I am not like some of my friends who don't think they're alcoholic. They just think they're drug addicts who right. then mm. end up drinking after 14 years of sobriety. Right. Um, so I'm an alcoholic. 
that's why I identify as sober. That's why I don't, and I don't like pot. Pot makes me paranoid and take my clothes off. And yeah, I don't know. Pot's yeah, but it makes good. music sound good. You know, when, when I was uh, in, in early sobriety, so like 98, when I was in Dog on the Roof, we had these guys from Australia come up who were sober people in AA who all smoked pot and they were surprised that we didn't. <laughs> and because they thought, and, and those are the guys that taught me that they, they bought their pot in a bullet. It came in uh, aluminum foil in a shape. Like it was like pointed at one end and, and solid at the other. And they go, yeah, we just buy a bullet, you know, and we did my inventory after I smoked, we smoked some pot. We did my inventory. And I said, so this, also, this has been going on for a long time, but but you know, you add you add hallucinogens. You add uh, what Mike said, benzos. It's I a mean, slippery slope. Right? I mean, Once uh, you start- well, no, I think there's a mix of everybody going in every direction and rationalizing or justifying that they're sober. So here's my new thing: if you if you consider yourself to your innermost self sober, then you're sober. Like Absolutely. if if you really believe that, then whatever. Who am I to say you're not? I just have not taken anything. I've never had a surgery. I've never done anything for 26 years. Nothing. And so will that change? Probably. I'm going to have a surgery. I'm going to have cancer. Something's going to happen here coming up sooner or later. But that string of nothing for 26 years up until today is is pretty I I don't think I don't think it's going to exist. Rare. I don't think it's going to exist. I don't I don't no, I think that's rare because we uh, it, know you that know what it it will ex- I'm sorry go ahead Jen. Um even in the you you know you you've mentioned it all the people that were on Valiums or, or or Xanax that's not my business you know what I mean that's the thing that if you believe, I think you hit it right on the head there that it's I can't judge anyone else's sobriety it's not because, for me because I can the, only the, say for me the cliche is, and I'm talking about, but I'm talking about them being convinced of their inner self. See, because I know the bullshitters and then they end up getting loaded. That's how my friend Hal was. He's like, tell me he's sober, he's not sober. And all that dodging around and lies. He's not convinced of his innermost self that he's sober. Taking That's true. Xanax. You know what I mean? So, but these, this new generation might be, Cali sober might be a real thing that the people turn their lives around. They start being more honest. They start, start taking responsibility for their actions and, and they smoke pot. And who am I to say that's, that's wrong? Who, who am I to say it's wrong? Well, I, you know, I think, I think that, I think that they must've had it wrong because what I was thinking about, and actually I was thinking about this today <laughs> is that high bottom you know, high bottom alcoholics tend to leave AA, you know, like, like my ex, let's say, for instance, she drinks now, and she's fine. She's not a junkie. She's a high bottom. She, you know, it wasn't as bad as my low low bottom or your low bottom, Bob, which should be classified as a different level of things. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not bragging. Well, I was saying that back then. It's I got, don't believe, me, but listen to me. You, I don't. It has believe, to be complete abstinence. But I don't. I don't. I. I believe that there's that it became very trendy in the mid 1990s, even in the late 80s, but definitely by the mid 1990s, it became very trendy to go to AA. It was like going to the Academy Awards or something. Like people went uh, out of like this cool thing. 
another thing that I, I really thought about why AA was so popular. There's more AA meetings in Southern California than anywhere else on earth. A LA is a very lonely town and it's a transient town. So people come from Wisconsin, they come from, you know, from Illinois, they come from Texas to make it in show business or have a band or come to California because of the sunshine or building opportunities, construction workers, people from all over the U.S. come here. And for the most part, where they're coming from is very much more warm and friendly than Los Angeles is. Los Angeles is, is a nasty town, right? It's a, it's a class-oriented town, who you know, who you're friends with, fame, all this kind of bullshit. And so you come out here, and you're just kind of lost. I mean, I think of Johnny Depp coming out here from Florida. He didn't know anybody. And, and all the people that come out here, and it's just harsh. And the place you go to meet people and where people are friendlier is bars. Bars are the center of, of social things in los angeles okay so how does that end up in aa with the low because then they then they're lonely and they don't make it in show business and they're depressed and they're drinking too much and all their dreams are kind of collapsing and they go to aa and they meet everybody and they get sober and things turn around and so i always felt like <laughs> yeah i called it the five-year plan there was all these people in aa at <laughs> okay, so this was over that, a period of five years the, I guess. The, the, they were gonna be sober for like five years right you know depending on the conditions of their life if their and life got, got better and better like i always tell the story in on on 9 10 2001 worst day of my sobriety by far i was four years and eight months sober or something at worst day of my life and then the fact that i couldn't wallow in it because the next day was 9 11 made it 10 <laughs> times worse so i wonder if this is like i wonder if things should be classified as pre-fentanyl and, and post no no i think it's yeah. more about i think it's more about being a real alcoholic so to me on 9 10 my kid told me he hated me and wanted to move back in with his mom. My, I found out my long-term nine-year relationship was over and the person was seeing somebody else. And my house was condemned by the city in the same That's week. That's a bad day. That was <laughs> That's a bad, a bad day. week. The yeah. fact that I didn't get high like because that's what the five-year people did they were around for four or five years and then something like that happens and the, all the dream you know everything right. was happening okay. and like it it crossed my mind i went and bought dope that's the funny story i went and bought dope it took me like four hours to find it and i brought it home and i put it on tinfoil and then i just couldn't do it i was talking to myself i smashed the house up and then i took it i bought two balloons and I took it and I threw it in the backyard and then some friends came over because I told somebody I was going to get loaded. And the, dog, dog. and the dog <laughs> ate the heroin. <laughs> and then oh, we're God. bringing my dog into the She didn't die. And then we're bringing my dog into the vet like at 8 or 9 o'clock at night, the emergency vet on Melrose and La Brea. And I'm holding the dog and she, her tongue's out. And she's like, ah. And I like, what do I tell him? <laughs> I didn't know what I was going to tell him. The dog, dog ate heroin. my heroin. <laughs> okay. I, I said the dog ingested something, uh, some some medication. And it was something. probably in tin foil, and it was probably my uh, <laughs> probably some dope. Can you try and get it back? 
<laughs> my new doctor gives me my prescriptions in foil. He told me he told me to heat it to make it more effective. Yeah, it's, I uh, I I can't. My stomach can't tolerate medication, so I have to use it as an inhalant. Yeah, there That's you go. The, yeah, right. there you go. So. And they just said, oh, no, they just hooked her up to an IV and she was flying like two hours. But I mean, mm -hmm. wow, what a great day it was. Did for the dog, dog. Look, at, look, look in the backyard for more uh, foil <laughs> after that? There's a dog in the yard looking for shiny shit. He's looking around like, is there more of that? Yeah, every time I open the back door, she'd be like, what, you going to throw more of that shit out here? <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> uh, yep. it was so It's such a crazy time. But but I just don't think like you have to know I can't drink no, no matter dude, what you I have to know that right because one of those days is going to happen to everybody. You know what? I think to keep myself entertained, I'm going to go in search of the most backwards backwoods AA meetings I can possibly find with a bunch of book thumping old timers, maybe out in Bakersfield or San Bernardino or something like that. That's what you're I think thinking. You're thinking. You're thinking L.A., California, where AA is pretty, pretty entertaining. And it's just pretty, go, <laughs> no, but go. My, you know, I used to go visit my mom in Tulsa. Here's what an AA meeting in Tulsa is. Everybody gets there at 7 a.m. 7 p.m. at the in a classroom at the elementary school down the street from my mom's house. There's like 12 people there. One guy's wearing muddy farmer boots. Yeah. And they just say, okay, they 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 do like a general introduction, but not like here. They don't read the steps. They start the thing and they say, where did we leave off last week? And they just read the big book. <laughs> it's beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. And then and then it's so beautiful. And here's different than LA or Southern California, California, or New York. AA. So, and you're, I guess, and I caught, you know, I caught on after going to a few meetings that you can comment on what you read or what somebody else read. So you yeah. read a page and then you kind of turn it over to the next person and no one in the room comments, only like one crazy guy comments. <laughs> so then Bill was talking you know, about spaceships. <laughs> <laughs> like really. And that's they, where and, you're gonna get find the and, best entertainment. And get this. They, and then they do this like they don't call it burning desire. Then they do this thing as does anybody have anything to share or any news or like they do that combo of like announcements, you want to share anything, uh blah blah blah, and then everyone remains silent and you leave and you literally leave at like 738. It doesn't go to a certain time. Nice. Like that's that's the AAI experience in Oklahoma. Well, so I told you about the time me and Bob Newerth were up in Seattle and it was his 25th birthday and this was years ago. And uh, he we went to a meeting in a basement in a church in Seattle and he there was like five people there. There was like a logger, a uh, guy that was wearing a weird bow tie that said he was a scientist and a housewife and... <laughs> And uh, I just like thought, this was, yeah, I thought that this was just going to be like <laughs> a bummer for Bob, right? I was like thinking, and he leans over to me and he goes, this is the greatest meeting I've ever been to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He had some, he had some great, there was a, the arrogance of Hollywood AA. There was a meeting called the solutions meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. Chuck, you could only share solutions. You oh, could nice. not, oh. there were a bunch of rules to sharing, right? And so they read the thing and Bob's a speaker and he goes, well, 
I got no solutions. I got, I, I don't think I should speak. I don't think I should talk. I don't have a fucking solution. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm here because I'm fucked up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <was> so fucking, <laughs> and so it was just, and you know, nobody really got the joke. Like you guys are getting a little hoity toity. You know, but, back to, but back to that, when we, when we first came in and they basically said, you know, you can't share about drugs in here. And, um, you know, Smitty is the one that actually told me, he said, I asked him about it. I said, uh, well, you know, what do you do? And he goes, well, I just identify as an alcoholic. And uh, then I immediately share about drugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I, that whole well, idea it, that alcohol is a drug. You know, I, I, I don't know why it ever got so separated, but I see why, because it, one's legal, one's not, and whatever. Well, but, but in I mean, a perfect world, alcohol would be harder to get than just well, about anything else. It. Mike was talking about high bottom drunks. Like the original hundred, I'm pretty much thinking they're all physically addicted to alcohol. Do you sure. know how hard that is? You know how yeah. hard it is to get physically addicted to alcohol? That's not yeah. what these that's not what half the people that you're seeing in AA are. No, they got a DUI. Never, they never they, shit. They never shit their pants. They never like Martin tells the story. Like I shit my pants and I just jump in a swimming pool with my pants on and kind of wash it all off, you know. <laughs> and then <laughs> I did. Yeah. And not to brag or anything, but Bob and I, you know, our history is that we spent years and years just drinking our fucking asses off, you know, mm -hmm. and destroying our lives and our opportunities every and at our, every corner. A was designed for those people, and then it, it got a wider berth, and there are more people involved in it. I just think that is now shrinking. Yeah, it it opened up to the masses. You know, pretty much anybody that identified or wanted to be a part of it, or you know, whatever could could claim. And then there was a million different versions of it. I remember Gloria Scott just lost her mind when there was a thing called Emotions Anonymous and they had a big uh, book and they you're powerless over your emotions and your life has become unmanageable. Literally, you can still look it up. I, I have one somewhere. I bought it on eBay. It's the most inane, ridiculous, like and Gloria Scott lost her. <laughs> oh, she fucking lost they her should be, mind they should about send, oh, Gen, so Gen Z should be going to Emotions Anonymous. Yeah, so emotions and uh, there was emotions anonymous, narcotics anonymous, cocaine anonymous, this anonymous, overeaters anonymous, undereaters anonymous, this anonymous, codependency, Narcan, nar you know, narcotic codependency, and it just opened up to the world right. this massive twelve-step involvement, and I think that's shrinking. I think it's, I think it's going back, and maybe it'll go back to its useful purpose, right. purpose, which is to help alcoholics who can't control their vows and, and are physically addicted <laughs> to alcohol. <laughs> I think they really fucked up when they said each meeting is autonomous. <laughs> yeah. You know, but that's because everybody took that way too literally. It is so true that that is just part and parcel of drinking till your your guts are rotten. Because there's like the old the old joke where the two drunks are sitting at the bar, and the one drunk goes, "What is that smell? Did you shit yourself?" And the guy goes, "Yep." And he goes, well, aren't, he goes, well, aren't you going to clean yourself up? And he goes, I'm not done. <laughs> you <know? laughs> hey, you know, what? The, I'm just telling you the funniest thing that ever happened. I don't know if Mike was there or not, but I used to love uh, Culture Club, as we all know. And Culture Club was my favorite. Oh, and they're playing. Favorite. Are you going to go? 
Yeah, I'm always going. So, so Culture Club, I'm singing. I come off our, you know, the get out of the monster van and singing, come, 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 chameleon, come and yeah. go. And I'm excited because we're at a one of these like Maryland liquor store store gas stations, right? And that, and a lot of times Chris Hansen wouldn't stop a place like that because he wouldn't want me to get alcohol. So yeah. I'm just so excited. I see the liquor sign in the window of the gas station, Chuck. It's going to be a good morning. Mm-hmm. And so I go in there. Um, I come, 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 come. I get two six packs, bring it up. And I'm singing. And I think Rob Graves was in there buying cigarettes or something. And I put it down. And he, and this whole black dude behind the counter goes, what did you do with the money mom gave you? And I was like, <laughs> excuse me? Excuse me? And Rob's standing there like, What? He's got his sunglasses on, and the guy goes, "What do you do with the money your mom gave you?" And I'm like, "It's yeah, like," and I'm just pushing the beers more towards him because I'm thinking <laughs> like, he's not, he's not, he doesn't want to doesn't sell understand. them to me. I don't know what he's saying. It's in kind of some weird Virginian Maryland dialect that I don't. What did you do with the money money mom gave? And I was like, "Excuse me." And Rob said, "What are you saying?" And he started laughing. And the guy said, "What did you do with the money your mama gave you?" And I was, I thought he was talking about, did my mom give me money to buy beer? I didn't know what the fuck he's saying. And I said, I don't understand what you're saying, sir. And he goes, the money your mama gave you for singing lessons. What'd you do with that money? Because you didn't go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a good one to leave it on. <laughs> All right, let's say good night. That's oh, awesome. That's a good one. Good night, everybody. Good night, guys. And good the good final night. good night to Vince Scully. All right. Oh. Uh, uh, Ah, uh, yeah, it's time. It's Don't time. die, but sorry, Vince. Yeah, he's deep. He, up. he didn't listen to our podcast. <laughs> he didn't listen. He wasn't following directions. All right, see you later. Uh, hey. Bye. Uh, see you guys later. Bye bye.